You now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world, the Stay Woke Podcast, right here on thesonicbreakdown.com. Welcome back to another Stay Woke Podcast. This is D-Ray Brinson, and you know the Stay Woke Podcast is presented by thesonicbreakdown.com. So thank you for listening to another podcast. Today, today's podcast is going to be a very interesting movie review, and it's going to be covering uh, the movie Get Out. But uh, let me introduce our special guest today. We got two special guests. We got a returning guest, Uncle David. And then, and then we got Baba Jesse. What's up out there, folks? I want to begin by just saying, what what was your overall impressions of of the movie? I'll start. I I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just looking at it for the genre that it was supposed to be, I thought he did a I thought he did a good job. I mean, it was had the suspense. It had it was comedy, everything you would want in a horror movie, but it also had some uh, you know consciousness which for me made it a little special. What about you? Yeah, I, I was impressed with the movie. I, I enjoyed it. I liked a lot of the scenes. It was some scary stuff early on, you know, that they threw in there, you know, with, I'm sure anybody listening to this has already seen Yeah, spoiler alert, so. Yeah, so, uh, you know, like when they, when they were driving up to the house and they hit that deer, that was kind of scary. Foreshadowing, yeah. Right. It also, you know, had had some reflections back on, on Homeboy's life, you know, with what happened with his mom and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, so I thought they weaved the story together really well. I was I was surprised, you know, at uh, the turn of events. You know, I I suspected that things weren't going to go the way uh, the way that they ended up going. So I thought it was very well done. It was, it was a good uh, thriller. So I, I, I agree. I I would use the word thriller instead of a horror movie, which I saw a mm-hmm. lot of reviews and it being advertised as a horror movie. But it's. It didn't. It wasn't that blood and guts, yeah. gory stuff that you I see in horror movies. It was. It was a thriller, mystery thriller, mm-hmm. that was kind of creepy. Yeah, it was very creepy. You know, the opening scene where where you know homeboy is walking through this neighborhood trying to get to somebody's house, and he's on his phone, and this car is you know mm-hmm. following him. You know, immediately thinking of Trayvon Martin. And you're you know? thinking of uh, the actor's name is Lakeith Stanfield, and the character's name was Andrew Logan King. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. the the character's name, and and that beginning was interesting, and it it did bring thoughts of that, especially when, uh, and I also liked how the fact that they added the humor in to create levity and release some of the tension at certain scenes, mm-hmm. like in that beginning, because it was getting tense. Like, oh man, we you already know what type of movie it is, and then you mm-hmm. see the black guy, and you're thinking in your mind of like you said the Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. or or things of that of that nature. And then he's like, oh, I'm not having that shit today. I'm going. And he, and he starts walking the other way because mm-hmm. in normal movies, that character continues to walk in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if, you, if you, you've been to, a, to the movies in, in, the, in the neighborhoods, in the hood, and everybody's yelling at the street, get out of that house. Don't go that way. Yeah, exactly. Turn around. Get away from him. Right. So that was, a, you know, that was a, an obvious point where, you know, if it was, you know, your standard thriller, mm-hmm. you know, horror movie. You know where the the characters make the stupid move. This is where black folks would be jumping up, saying, "Yo, don't do that! What's wrong with you? You stupid!" But he made the right move, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what, to me that I like that aspect of it, and mm-hmm. it, it made it it made it that much better. Yeah, and I think it was that way throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't see one of those what I call those stupid horror movie decisions being made. Mm-hmm. Where you know, uh, exactly, let's run to the graveyard or let's run this way. Let's get out. Actually, I disagree. There was one scene. Hold on. Let me back up before we do that. I do want to introduce that. That movie was written and directed by Jordan Peele. Some of you might know him from the Key and Peele show, which is a a great series, um, a nice Mm -hmm. follow up from for Comedy Central for 
following up Dave Chappelle show. I, I thought that was they did a really well yeah, done really job good. on that. And then to see him transform or transfer that creative energy into a movie like this, I thought also needed to be noted. Going another back, thing to note is um, that he is the first African American director to have a movie gross over a hundred million dollars. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in his mm. first three weeks, three weeks or something like that. Mm. Right. So you know he's he's kind of set raised the the bar, and it wasn't an obviously black movie either. Right. And it shows that he that we can produce successful things if you give us opportunity. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he not only, like I said, he directed, he also wrote it. So mm-hmm. that he had his creative footprint all over it, where right. black directors, actors, writers, screenwriters usually don't get that overall control mm-hmm. right. because they don't have faith in us. Mm-hmm. Because they need, they think they need to insert certain things in to help the movie gross because it's not going to carry on its own. Right. But he's right. just continuing what's the last few years we've seen just yeah, capitalizing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, capitalizing, but and, the and black writers and directors are, are stepping up more. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're give, getting the chance. So we're seeing that it can be done and they're doing all the genres. It's not just, you know, yeah, the, you got Donald Glover with Atlanta. You have, I, I can't think of her name for Insecure on HBO. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of them out there, but I do want to go back to what we were mm-hmm. saying because I don't want to forget that thought. Oh yeah, that, that, that plot, scene. About that plot scene. Which one? Which one was it? Yeah. For, for me, me, let me tell you yeah. what mine was. The hypnosis. Oh no, no, not not mine. Well, like yes, it's well, like yes. he knew well, well, yeah, 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 like he couldn't sleep, there was, there was and he two... go downstairs and you know, and he's gonna sit there and start talking to her. I was like, no, I no. forgot that part. There's two. Don't do that. It was that one. Uh-huh. And when him and his girlfriend were on that the beach, uh, mm-hmm. and he was talking, and he told her that his the mother hypnotized him, mm-hmm. and he's like, "We gotta leave." Yeah. At that point, I don't care what she says or what she does. You know, and your your instincts are telling you you need to leave. If she like he said in the beginning, either you come and come with me, or I'm going. Mm-hmm. He should have stuck with that. That's all. That yeah. that was the only part that, and the other hypnotizing because he said he called it. He yeah. said, "He said, oh, you're trying to hypnotize me, or like he he alluded to mm-hmm. to it." Mm-hmm. See, uh, and he didn't heed his own advice and leave. I thought, yeah. he, I mean, the hip, hypnosis scene—that's the thing where I could see. Okay, it wasn't the smartest thing, but mm-hmm. it wasn't those typical. Yeah, it wasn't the obvious thing. Oh, I hear some noise because you kind of like, okay, I, 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 go up I, there and I, look. Can, I can deal with this. You can't hypnotize mm-hmm. me. I can deal with this. And the the scene, uh, what are you saying? The on the, when he was saying something's wrong. Blah blah. blah I need to get out of here. He should have left. I agree with that. But again, stupid. That wasn't. Stu- that was just you know, <laughs> man in love kind of thing. You yeah. know, he's like he's trying to be nice with the. Fa- I, mean, I know something's wrong. I, he didn't know exactly what was wrong and what was happening. Well, you know, he had been pre-warned, right? His, his, his homeboy told him, <laughs> told him, man, don't be going up there. Right. Yeah, so, in the beginning, he said, like, like, "No, nah, man, that don't sound right." Uh, <laughs> and that was a lot of the thriller and suspense for me. It's like. Even from the very start, you know something's wrong, but you mm. didn't know what. Like you said, the ending, you didn't quite. I didn't know it was going to take that kind of a twist. Uh-huh. Uh, then, you know, the whole with the yeah, lobotomies and yeah, the all that stuff selling was... body parts. I didn't know it was going to go to all of that. But uh-huh. I, I don't see the point where it was like, I definitely got to get out of here any earlier or that everything's haywire here. Because he was still sort of kind of figuring out what's going, you know, from my memory anyway. He hadn't quite connected all the pieces. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, you know, I'm talking about the stupid stuff yeah. where... You know the house is hunted. You're hearing noises upstairs. Like, let's yeah. go do that. Yeah, let's go check now, it out. Now, you know, a couple couple of things. When he got to the house mm-hmm. and the brother, right, is, you know, weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. talking about you're talking about Lakeith Sanfield. That's, the, mm-hmm. again, the actor's name. But I think he did a great job. I want to take a note. I think he did a great job because 
there are so many ways he could have played that role mm-hmm. and it'd been cheesy. It could have been, you know, too creepy. It was right on that border of creepy, but like, it's not creepy enough where you can instantly say like, like I de- like you said, those scenes where it's like, if he does it too, if he does it wrong, it's mm-hmm. like you, at that point he has to leave. Well, you know, the thing, but what, he played mm-hmm. it just enough where it's like, like, what's wrong hmm. with this brother? You know like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you just, you just, you're, hmm. <laughs> like, now, you, now, you know, when they, they threw him in there and he was kind of a, a diversion, mm-hmm. right? Because he was like, okay, maybe this is the guy, right, that we got to look out for because he's a little whack, right? So, you know, I was like looking at him and thinking, okay, this is where, where the thing's coming from. There's a, there's a scene or there's a line that he says when he when they two when they two interact and the the lady i don't remember her name comes up to uh lakeith sansfield's character mm-hmm. and he's like uh what's uh the, chris he's like he's like chris just uh, was telling me how comfortable he feels uh just with my presence <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> to me that's like unspoken code like we know well for me i'll put it this way i'll put it for me if you're in a situation like that and you see another brother you mm-hmm. feel comfortable you're like okay let me go talk to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now, but yeah. you never speak. You never. Uh, you never acknowledge it and say like, <laughs> mm-hmm. "You make me feel comfortable." <laughs> you know, like right. you just know it. I mean, yeah, exactly. Not exactly. Know it. And yeah. so, like that. That to me was so like that was so creepy. <laughs> like, but you know what was real creepy though? The two servants. Oh, at the house. Georgina and uh, Walter. Georgina right. And Walter. Hey, she because, did such a good job. Because uh, that that. They seemed like they, you know, it almost seemed like that that they were on some kind of plantation or something, mm-hmm. right? Because they were, you know, the field hands, right? She was working in the house, right, for these white folks. And now you don't know that this is not the first time they've had a black guest, right? At right. the beginning, right? You're just figuring, okay, she's coming home with the, with the black boyfriend for the first time. And the family's kind of tripping about this. And the servants are tripping, too, because it's like, hey, how come he gets to be, you know, all that? And but that's what you think anyway. That's what you're thinking at that point, right? So you're immediately like, man, this is kind of a whack deal. You know, they, he's got to deal with the parents, you know, being these, quote, liberal white folks. But they ain't so liberal because, you know, they got wh- black people working for them in a subservient role, you know, for a and patronizing then, role. And then the way that he acknowledges it, the dad acknowledges <clears throat> that that image, the, how the optics look for that. Mm-hmm. Even the way that he approached that are, are, to me, solidified that that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was per- mm-hmm. he was he was the typical you know white. Liberal. I voted for Obama I voted twice, for and I, I would have voted for him, for him a third time. time. Yeah, you know, so he was playing that role. You they know, were that's basic, friend, that's basically friendly. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. that's basically the new. I have a black friend. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so, th- I thought that was interesting as well. I want to touch on um how to me the theme of it. If you take out strictly race, it was the idea of being an outsider and how you navigate in that environment and. There was a quote that I, I heard on another podcast. I'm not going to name because they got more listeners than me. So, <laughs> uh, but they brought up this uh, James Baldwin quote, and uh, I'm not going to quote it because I don't know it by verbatim. But the the idea behind it was when he used to watch cowboy and, cowboy and Indian movies, he was cheering for the Cowboys to win until one day he realized he was the Indian. Mm-hmm. He's the, the minority and he's mm-hmm. been rooting against himself in these movies yeah. his whole life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you bring that up. That reminds me of, of an Oscar Brown Jr. song, right? Uh, he, uh, the Lone Ranger and Tonto, mm, right? Yeah. And and there's there's this scene where you know Lone Ranger and Tonto are surrounded, right, by by uh, Indians or Native Americans, right? So the Lone Ranger looks at Tonto and says, "Hey, we're surrounded," 
And he looks at, Tano looks at the, the uh, Lone Ranger and says, what do you mean we, pale face? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's kind of, that's the, the, the moment of, of uh, reckoning that you realize whose side you, you're really supposed to be mm-hmm. on. And, you know, for a lot of, you know, I didn't like John Wayne, you know, although, you know, I liked heroes, but I didn't like him as a, as a character. And, you know, the wife, the whole idea of the white hero conquering the West, manifest de- destiny, basically rounding up the Indians. I, the best, my, my favorite movie was uh, They Died With Their Boots On, mm. right, which was <laughs> the, uh, the Custer movie, mm-hmm. right? You know, Errol Flynn and, and, oh, that's the one. And, those, okay. and those guys get uh, get massacred, mm. you know, by the Sioux. I said, you know, they had it coming, <laughs> you know, about time. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And and the fact that this movie kind of plays on, you know, these notions of of um, of uh, white superiority in a way. Right. Ver- not, you know, overtly, but by inference. And the, the reason why I brought up that quote and the reason why that that quote by James Baldwin came to mind is. I noticed myself when I was in the movie theater and Mm -hmm. something that Jordan Peele said himself is that this movie should be seen in theaters. And I agree with him Mm -hmm. based on, I saw the movie and then I saw that quote by him and I was like, I thought about it in my head. How would I have received this movie if I saw it by myself at the house versus if I saw it in the theaters? I still think I would like it, but I think something that I did feel and that I did notice myself is Mm -hmm. prior to the movie starting, I surveyed the, 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 the scene, the the, The audience audience, Mm -hmm. and you see, Especially being in California, you know, interracial couples, black couples, Latino couples, Filipino couples, you see this mixed race and as well as mixed genders, mixed families and all this. And then when the movie started, you also felt the energy and the tension moving Uh through the audience. At least that I felt there are certain scenes that uh, I found, you know, hilarious. And there was a certain section of the the crowd that had that same energy and other areas there was a change in energy. But at the end, as well as towards the end, the crowd all rooting for a black hero, in essence, Chris, mm-hmm. and wanting the, the the white villain, which is something we see very few in, in, in movies and culture, wanting them to be killed. Mm-hmm. And all of them agreeing with that same sentiment. I just thought it was, it was an interesting because that's probably very few times that they experience what I was just talking about, them mm-hmm. rooting for themselves to lose. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I brought that up. Well, you know, you know, yeah. this is, you know, this is a, a real horror movie, Night of the Living Dead, right? You know, <laughs> Where you going with this? Right. Um, there's a brother in the movie who has a lead role, mm-hmm. right? He's actually the hero of the movie, and he's got to deal with you know white folks who ain't up to the task, and he's got to keep them in line. Right? Right. They don't like they, him they backst- because he's black, and they backstab him because he's black and all this stuff, right? And he he prevails, right? He goes through the whole movie, he prevails. And I know Peel was playing off of this at the end, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Because at the end, the the hero, the protagonist, he's prevailed, right? He's he's killed, you know, his his white family there, and and all of the you know the quote kind of zombie like creatures that that are that are there too, mm-hmm. and he's about to you know realize his victory, and then the the car comes up, right? The police car comes up. Now jump back forty years ago or whatever it is, fifty years ago, forty years probably. Um, Night of Living Dead. This brother holds Ford against this army of zombies. zombies. <laughs> He's killing them. He's setting the plans. He gets everybody through this stuff. And then finally in the morning, when the the cavalry arrives to rescue everybody, he's standing up there like, hey, yeah, we're finally safe. And they shoot him. 
right through the head, throw him on the pile with the rest of the, the zombies. To me, that was that was a very profound statement mm-hmm. in that film. And, you know, it was left up to the, the viewer to decide whether he was shot because they thought he was a zombie or they, or they him. shot him just because <laughs> he, he was, was black. black. And all the white people died. So we can't let him survive. <laughs> yeah. But the white people died at the hands of the zombies. zombies yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. He died, you know, call it friendly fire or whatever you want. So. Peel, I'm sure, was playing on that in, in Get Out. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's that's initially when I saw that cop car, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. yeah I said, <laughs> okay. I, was like, <laughs> I, was I think like, everyone damn. in the theater Why thought that. knew that? They just knew, oh, yeah, he paid his shot the, anyway. That's the, the, the cop that stopped him earlier, and you just knew who it was going to be. And then when, when Lil Rel got came out. white girl there bleeding. No, help me, help me. You know, this, this black man's gone berserk, killed my whole family. And then his homeboy. <laughs> I actually may have liked that ending. I did like I, it. I mean, I would have liked that ending better if they uh, had shot him. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No, not, uh, no. I didn't want him to die. But it would have been that would have been like a, a wild moment. At the end of that, then he gets out, and the white cop shoots this black guy. It would have been like, but you know that's what? a statement. But, but you know what? Statement. The fact that it didn't happen, I think, I had think a bigger more impact because we all like because that's because we were expecting it. it. If, if we, we were anticipating it, and it happened, it's not a shot. If we we are expecting him to get shot and he didn't, it's like that. That's what people we're talking about it now because he didn't. It wouldn't have been a shock, but it would have been a statement on America. But it was still a statement, I, even that, though it that didn't you thought happen. it was going to happen. Right? The because that you thought it the was suggestion happen. was there. Everybody knew, knew that was, was in happen. their heads. That was what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes a bigger statement because the yeah, fact that exactly. we're thinking about it and and it didn't happen. Because put it this way, back in that time, racism was more overt. Mm-hmm. Wait, that back in that time when the Night of the Living Dead when that came, oh, okay. you yeah, know what I'm saying? Back, it was yeah. more, it was more uh-huh. over where you can do something like that and it's not going to be as big of a deal. Where now, even though people are doing it, they're they're doing more work to hide it because they know how it the optics will look in society and that there will be an uproar. There will be mm-hmm. there will be something that's there will be some repercussions. Even though they're willing to deal with it, they're mm-hmm. still going to be them. And so, to me, the fact that we're thinking that and he didn't do it. It shows like how, to me, like you have to be more vigilant. We have to do more work because it's making it harder for us to find, even though it's still occurring. Mm-hmm. Because if we, if we never thought it, that means it's not occurring. But the fact that everybody in that, well, now I won't say everybody, majority of the people in that audience, like we said, are having that thought, that means it's happening enough that it's in our consciousness. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the, the okay. whole setup, you know, the white girl, blonde white girl, you know, claiming, you know, violence by a black man out of control. Right. That brings up every single shooting. Mm-hmm. Right, it goes all the way back to Emmett Till, right? Whistling in and, that, and that, yeah. that situation, right? But you know, you 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 brought up the issue. Um, Peel said you should see this in a theater, right, in a community center mm-hmm. setting. This brings to mind another movie I saw, right, which was um, took place in the twenties. It was called Ragtime. Oh, okay, yeah. And the way that they they marketed that movie, Ragtime, right? James Cagney was in that film. Right. And he, had, you know, he's making this big comeback and Cagney was, you know, big in, in movies back in the day. Mm. And he was a Yankee doodle dandy. And they showed all these scenes with people dancing and having a good time and whatnot. So you thought that Ragtime was going to be about a, a movie about the Roaring you know, 20s, the Roaring 20s yeah. and, you know, speakeasies and dancing and jazz and all this stuff. Well, you get to the theater <laughs> and it's really about an, a racial event that there was a black man. Uh, I think his name was Cole House Walker, mm-hmm. who uh, was well-to-do, and he had a car, really nice car. And one day he was driving, 
and these, um, I think it were firemen or something, had blocked his car so that he couldn't uh, make his way there, right? There was some altercation there, right? And they did something to his car, and that led to a series of events that ended up getting his wife injured, right? She got smacked down because she was trying to petition, uh, I think it was Woodrow Wilson or Teddy Roosevelt, whoever was president at the time, you know, on his behalf. You know, he became the victim, you know, even though he was the victim of, of this racial event, he was seen as being the perpetrator. Mm. And he became the enemy. He became the target of the investigation. He took some hostages. He was just fed up with all the stuff. And he went downtown and he took over, I think, a bank or something like that. And he got hostages. And he said he wanted to, you know, all he wanted was an apology from the fire department for what they did to his car. And subsequently, all the stuff that happened to his wife and whatnot. So you were thinking, okay, he's got a righteous point here, you know, and finally he's got their attention. And James Cagney, who, you know, most most cases he was the hero of the film of all the films he was in, right? He stayed there and he says, Okay, well, we'll we'll take care of this. And there's a sniper. So when he comes out, right, he says, Okay, we agree to all your deal, we're gonna do this. And he comes out. And Cagney gives the order for him to shoot him, and they shoot him down dead. That film I saw in Massachusetts, in Lawrence, Massachusetts, in an audience of mostly white folks. Mm. I think I might have been the only brother there. And it was such a shocking end. Plus, it was just unexpected, right? You come in there, and I think everybody in that, in that movie theater didn't expect this type of movie. And they got there, and... When it was over, I just sat there. I was just like, I was angry. I was shocked. And all these white folks are getting up and they're walking out and they're not looking at me. Mm. You know, you get that, you know, you have that feeling like they like, oh, you know, I can't look at this brother, you know, because that was some wrong stuff that just <laughs> happened. And uh, it was, you know, it was crystal clear that being a black man in, in America and being in that theater with all these white folks and seeing the injustice that had happened on that screen was a slap in the face to all of them. They didn't want to have, and they kind of wanted to just block it out of their mind. And they didn't want to look at me because they were feeling guilty. Mm. So yes, seeing films like this in a mm. community setting, in a theater gives you that ability to kind of gauge everybody's uh, mm-hmm. viewpoint and response to the film. And uh, I think it's very instructive, and, 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 it's, and it's a lesson in and of itself. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Baba Jesse? Would you put it this way? If you saw the movie, you saw the movie in theaters. I did. If you, let's say you didn't see it in theaters and you saw it at home, do you think your opinion and your feelings about it would have changed as you were watching it, not versus afterwards? Um, probably, I don't think it would have changed as much while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably... I mean, not seeing that audience reaction around me or getting any kind of feeling from them, I might not have felt that it was as impactful as I as it as I think it was. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, I still would have enjoyed it. I think I would have gotten a lot of the same lessons out of it, uh, and maybe even more. And I say this only because if I watched it at home, you know, Netflix or whatever, I might watch it more than once. Mm-hmm. And I would have gotten more in that way. So for me, I mean, I like that big, that communal feeling, especially with a movie like that, 
because it was new. I like had the big buzz around it. Mm-hmm. So you know that people are kind of hyped about it to see it. And it was one of the few movies I was been in recently that was a full theater. Uh-huh. Which so that was good because most of the time I'm at the movie, it's not full anymore. Yeah, when I went to see it, we went on a I think a Monday afternoon. It was, it was maybe twenty people in there. Okay, right. and so I had the, the big audience. So yeah, it felt good to, you know, people. I mean, it was the interracial mixed audience. People mm-hmm. laughing. You know, there's the group over here talking uh-huh. to the screen still. So you know, all this stuff going on. So that was a fun thing with this movie. Now, but, I have one thing that, that, that kind of popped up in my head. Um, why did this family target black people, right, for this stuff? <laughs> I mean, anybody, in theory, anybody would do, right? Not if you're obsessed with but, the black male and, or the African and, and, man. And w- one thing is, it seemed like, because they did it to Georgina. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think they, it depends on who was the buyer. That would be my guess is because but that one, one that one lady, she got it because she wanted to be with a black man. That's why she is with Andrew. Uh-huh. The other guy, he wanted basically so that he can paint like him. Uh-huh. So. But if you look at. And I think you, it might you, be you look, also about the fact that it's easier for them to get the daughter to target. The son was too crazy. He's not going to well, be no, pulling no, any. Well, <laughs> no, I'm just talking about the race. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, she could have targeted white guys or Chinese guys or Mexican, Indian oh, guys or Mexican just, guys. Oh, yeah. Not just men. Okay. And if you notice, you know, she had, there was like this gallery of people, right? They were all black. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the things I thought about was that, you know, th- that this is a devaluation of black people. Right. Right. In that, okay, we can go off and snatch a black person and transform them. And it mm. won't matter, right? Mm. Because they don't have no family. Nobody cares about them. Nobody's, Nobody's looking look for them. them. Just... You know, it's, you see this in, in, in the media mm. all the time, right? You know, some, some white woman gets it disappears, right? Just and it's like now all, in D.C., there's yeah. what, 20, 19, 24 women that are missing? In, 24, yeah, in the, in the D.C. area, yeah, right? Yeah, in the D.C. area. Yeah. And the, and it's like a shrug. When, when one white girl <clears throat> goes missing for a week, it's yeah. national mm-hmm. news. So look, you know... Eric Benet Ramsey, you know, 20 years later, they still got, you know, still full court press it, yeah. on that, right? Mm-hmm. Little black girl from, you know, North Carolina. Keep running Mississippi, mm-hmm. right? Um, she gets missing. Nobody cares. It's no, no. But I think that's the point. If you look at um, Homeboy in the movie, right? His mom had, had, uh, Chris. had yeah. passed away, Chris, mm-hmm. right? So he was basically on his own. He didn't have yeah. a family. And he didn't have a big, he didn't have a large family cir- or a friend circle. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't remember his. Mm-hmm. He, and, his and, the, and the first brother who, who was, uh, who was uh, abducted. He was, they were, yeah, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah he mean, knew him too. He was kind of, he kind of disappeared mm-hmm. and it was like, yeah, no big deal. You mm-hmm. know, the police didn't even pay much attention to Yeah, him. he had a missing uh, person's report, but that's it. And, but yeah. nobody was actively looking. And I think that's, that's a very important you know, message that this film was also conveying was that, you know, black folks don't matter in terms of, you know, the legal system. Yeah, they if don't, they disappear, yeah. nobody they, really but cares. They, but they but they do matter when it comes to <clears throat> the that scene when Chris is first there and how they're all talking about, do you play with Tiger or, do you know, do you golf? Like, no, like it, really pushing all the, the physical attributes. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big part of it. I agree. They're saying, you know, it doesn't matter. We can grab a black person and get away with it. Mm-hmm. But it, it was also, I think, that infatuation with black 
people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, all the myths about, because at the garden party or the yard mm-hmm. party, everyone's talking about all these great things about the black people. You know, she yeah. wanted him because, oh, he's a great, he's a sex slave or whatever, however you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a TSA boy thought it yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> there were things about sex slaves. but So it was, it was just showing that thing, and especially a lot of these so-called liberal white Americans, I believe, and I think Jordan Peele may have been trying to say this. They have those notions like, mm-hmm. oh, we're great friends. I, I, black people are fine. Mexican people are fine. But then deep down, there's this, you know, Mexican people are fine. They're great gardeners. You know, black people are mm-hmm. good. I mean, they have this great athletic ability or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think that's they keep us in, in stereotypes. They, yeah. keep, they, they keep us in a box. Back to that same party when Chris was like, no, I don't I don't play golf. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I take photos. Yeah. Oh, so what about golf? You want to go golfing sometime? Because they can't get out of that idea that you you don't fit in that box that they created for you. And so they won't accept anything outside of it. And that's, I felt, what I took from that scene as well, um, that garden party. One thing I do want to touch on is uh, Betty Gabriel, Georgina. I think she did a great job, a great acting job of of capturing that because once you find out how the hypnotizing works and about the second place and how she captured that one, that somebody's in there trying to break out, but is not able to and haven't been able to. And they're trying to warn you, but they can't like that. How she captured that with, uh, again, another podcast of this, I'm not going to say, but they called it the reverse glory tear. Reverse, reverse glory, glory tear. tear. Mm-hmm. When she cried uh. at that <laughs> scene um, with Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, when he asked her about uh, the charger or mm-hmm. unplugging his phone, mm-hmm. I just thought she did a really good job, and I, I wanted to just mention that and put it out there that her that acting was very very well done. Yeah, she okay. she had a really good you know way of you know being ambiguous mm-hmm. right in a very suspenseful way. Yeah, right. Because she know. didn't have a lot of lines, but yeah. she was memorable. Yeah, I mean you know you knew something was going on with her, but. You know, it was but so was Walter, as you mentioned earlier. He did the same to me. He was the same kind of a yeah. Thing. That's why it was both like, of them. I mean, you Andrew oh, running up on him. Oh, know, that, yeah. Walter, yeah, that I saw something on on Police Report. They were doing the um the get out the challenge. Get out challenge. <laughs> it's like you would you stand there and have somebody just full board sprint at you. <laughs> no, nope. get out the way. I was gonna oh. say one thing. Speaking of Georgina and Walter. Just again, that that spoiler alert. In case you haven't seen it, then I don't if you know haven't seen it, you, you shouldn't be listening to but this podcast. Yeah, it's too late now. The whole thing <laughs> they about they heard too much. This is worse than Oprah being, when Oprah's previewing parents, movies. Them being the, the grandparents. Yeah, uh, that was that was like that whoa. freaked me out. Like, <laughs> yeah. said, "Go get him, Grandpa." And he mm-hmm. took off running. Like, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> that was. I mean, that was just a nice little twist. Something. Now, you know? what do you think this movie said about interracial dating? That's what I was gonna. That was another question to add. Don't ever go meet the parents. <laughs> no, I no, I mean, it didn't. What did it say about interracial dating? It so I want to this Andrea, a girl that I had on the or a woman I should say had a, that I had on this podcast before. She brought up something that takes me to what you were saying because we talked about interracial dating, and to me, it spoke to what she said that there are, of course, and I but I didn't think about it. But there's people that fantasize of, about being with a black man, being with a white woman, being mm-hmm. with whatever race you can mm-hmm. think of mm-hmm. and to me that's what it spoke on is that idea of that fetishizing or yeah objectification of of, of of the other right? yeah exactly right so and they're not really people they're exactly you know they're objects it touched on that from the interracial dating perspective of her because mm-hmm. if you noticed 
at that scene that he see or that we see them looking over her shoulder at the computer is she's looking up basketball players, yeah. NCAA uh, top mm-hmm. recruits, mm-hmm. things of that nature. So it's in her mind is that athletic thing. Yeah, you know, saying that aspect of there's not you know there's more depth to mm-hmm. to us than just this that or whatever. Now, like, do you think do you mm-hmm. think Chris had any objectification of her of her? I don't think there was enough evidence in the movie to suggest it, but there's nothing mm-hmm. to say that he did it. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what you were saying about the other, her and looking up the black men and mm-hmm. and all this, I don't know so that that says so much about interracial dating as to the nature of that weird family's obsession and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, in, just in general. Because well, then my thing is, why was she looking up that specific type of men because that's what they wanted for what they were doing to people she's looking at the the next who's next who's going to be the next person that i can in my mind i thought she's you know she's searching men down i take it that because to me if she was just searching just men black men in general or black men because you can be athletic and not be in ncaa you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like there's other ways to to narrow that search down but maybe someone wanted that i mean she wasn't uh i don't even I don't see them as an interracial couple. She was using, I mean, that was a, a ploy that she was doing. So for well, me, that's what I mean. Initially they were yeah, before we knew what was going on, right? From his perspective, but, but, from, but, at least from his was perspective, never her, it was. From, before we knew that he was in trouble being with her, I don't think they said much about interracial dating to me other than, you Except know. Except the homeboy, TSA told him, don't be going <laughs> home. Don't go to, don't meet the parents. And that's a, that's a, a black person's mentality thinking mm-hmm. but it, no but it did speak to interracial dating the fact that they even have to bring up the fact that when he's going to visit her parents that he has that that he that she mentioned that he's black you don't have to do that if if you if you're a black man dating a black woman yeah you don't have that, that conversation yeah, they had that discussion right yeah, you don't have that they had conversation discussion about that, that did is you tell them that so, 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 so what did that no, say no. about interracial dating then the fact that he said man don't be going to meet their family no no, what it no said when is that chris and and uh, homegirl had the discussion because he Rose. asked her, did you tell them that I'm black? And she said, no. And he's like, you know, maybe you should. And she's like, no, you know, they're real liberal. My point know, is, they, you don't have to have that Obama. conversation if you're with a black woman. If you're not in an interracial, they, in a, in a racial relationship. Yeah, that's true. If, so that's an added thing that that they did But they address. added to it. But I don't think they, I don't see, I just don't, I understand mm-hmm. what you're saying, mm-hmm. how that in the movie, you don't have that if it's this couple of the same race. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see... Just because, and maybe because, you know, as the movie goes on, you realize this is not a couple. Mm. This mm-hmm. is a Mark and a, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and she's reeling them in, whatever. So to me, it wasn't so much on interracial dating. And if I'm dating a black woman and I'm getting ready to go meet the parent, I'm going to, I'm probably going to ask some questions. I might say, well, did you tell him I was a musician? Mm-hmm. They might have something against musicians, especially yeah, yeah. if I don't have another job or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so but- for me, that wasn't. I mean that was kind of normal. I mean, I anybody that would I don't think it was a comment on interracial dating, just a comment on the because, society. Well, this is, you no, know, because this is what I'll but, say: is I'm in an interracial relationship, mm-hmm. and when I went to meet her parents, that didn't come across my mind is that she needs to let them know. Well, it's different, right? She's she's Puerto Rican. Yeah, but right, and but that's that, that's but, a mo- that's a melting pot. Everybody, <laughs> everybody in Puerto Rico got a little bit of everything. Right. So it's not as it's not as trippy as, you know, Wasp America. Right. But that's what I'm saying. But that's that's why I'm saying that it is an mm-hmm. added thing in that particular relationship because mm-hmm. of the dynamics that those two cultures have. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's what I'm saying. Like you do. If, if you like I said, if he's dating a Puerto Rican, if he's dating uh, 
Latino, maybe an Asian, you know, whatever mm-hmm. culture, you might not have to have that conversation because right. of the relationship. True, true. And so that's what I'm saying. So they did address it, but maybe not to the extent that you think I that I interpreted that you're right. And I, I could see a black and white couple not addressing that. Not, I don't think everyone is going to approach it like that. Because first of all, she might have already had told the parents. He might know it. You know, just feel comfortable enough. I don't know if I would have done that. I would have. I might have just wanted to go surprise him just because no, I'm just would, crazy like that, though. I would just be like, hi, I'm here. But but no, I mean, I don't, I don't, I just you, don't know, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about what, what you might do in that situation. And, you know, you, you have that similar situation. And I'm thinking, you know, I've never been in that situation. And they never I never even kind of got close to being in that mm-hmm. situation. And, you know, I went to, you know, went to basically a predominantly white college. Right. And it never really crossed my mind. Right. I never really was. Maybe it was self, uh, self uh, regulating in a, in a way, right? That I wasn't gonna gonna be doing that. It. I think it definitely was an aspect of this story. I don't know. You know, let's say it was. It wasn't a racial thing. I think it would have taken a lot of the steam out of this film, right? Because I think the the fact that you know the all of the victims in this movie were black and that they were being targeted by, you know, white folks who were affluent and, you know, seemingly liberal. I think he was also pointing fingers at, you know, the so-called white liberals who are, you know, claim not to be racist. Right? I'm that sure they, that that was, yeah. yeah, that they had harbor some racist ideas themselves. That they harbor some racist as well as, to me, it also spoke to the fact that you're allowing it to continue as well because they're exploiting it exactly yeah that but that's not what they are what they say you know what i'm saying no, no. so mm-hmm. but i'm saying so they, they they feign ignorance but i think like i said like you said i think he's saying that you you can't really feign feign that anymore because everybody at that party knew what was going on mm-hmm. right because because yeah. when, when you first hear that party when you first see that party you're like this is weird this is weird this is weird and then mm-hmm. when you start to find out what's really going on the you auction. don't really, yeah. You don't really mm-hmm. realize the auction, how, yeah. the how, auction. how 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 deep it goes, and then you see the auction. You go, "That's the whole town." That's the au- they're auctioning they're the whole community. Oh, the whole community that was yeah. built around that lady and her ability yeah. to. They're off to auctioning yeah. off a black man, just like they auctioned off slaves back in the day. No different. Yeah, he was definitely making that. But they're exploiting, and as well as the fact that he was like the, the guy that bid on him, saying, "I want him because of his his talent." And so yeah. that that is that is the that's the exploit. We're not picking cotton anymore. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're exploiting them we're, for we're, for their other talents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how well they play basketball, how athletic they are, how well they sing, how how influence, influential they are on yeah. the culture. Yeah, and I see I see that same way. I see that as as the film pointing out how you know the the white majority culture, you know, basically uh, colonizes black culture, cultural appropriation right? takes mm-hmm. it. Right. And tries to make it their own. Right. And and exploits it to their own benefit. As uh, somebody uh, coined the term culture vultures. Yeah. Culture vultures. Yeah. I like that. It's an, an, a different form of colonization. Right. Where you you extract all of the, the the natural resources and value. Right. And you give back nothing. So I get dry. And there you have it. America. <laughs> <laughs> I know the vulture. America eats its young. <laughs> We went a lot of places on this podcast. Mm. I'll say let's conclude it by saying, would you recommend this to to others? Do you think this is one of the, 
one of those movies that everybody should see. Yes, I have recommended it to several people, Get several white out. people. <laughs> <laughs> Even just, I mean, I've, yeah, my coworkers that haven't seen it, I've recommended it to them. My family, people back when I first saw it. So, yeah, I, I think people should see it. Uh, the communal thing is great. If you miss it, make sure you get it on Netflix. But you should see it. And, again, it's just a movie. It's, you know, horror, suspense, thriller, whatever you want to call it. It's a movie. But there are some things that you should think about in this movie. And, you know? actually, before we do conclude, I do want to bring up one more thing. The Sunken Place. I feel like we, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't bring that up. The significance of the sunken place and... and Of the what place? Sunken place. The sunken place. Oh, where she sent him mm -hmm. the, the whole... She she oh, yeah. To. Uh -huh. to me, that spoke volumes in, in the feeling of... Actually, let me tie it to music because every podcast has to be tied to music somewhere. It brings me to an interview that Kanye had with Sway. And he's talking about trying to get into the fashion industry and trying to make trying to be at the point where he's like St. Laurent, where he can have his creations and be made mass production and and have that kind of grip on fashion. Sway was asking him, well, why don't can't you do it? You you know, you have the money, you sell these records, so you have the influence, you know these people, so you have the network. Like, what is stopping you? And Kanye was like, Sway, you don't have the answers. I'm telling you, there's there's things beyond all of that that you can have all of that and you still can't do what you want to do you are pigeonholed you are stuck you can't and to me the way i took that interview and the way i'm taking the sunken place is there's points where you feel no matter how good or how great or how hard you work how much money you have how much influence you have there's a cap hmm. and that cap is because you're black where if you're white you can have all these resources. You can have all this stuff, and you don't have a cap. the 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 universe is your is is your is your oyster. You can accomplish that. Where, if you're a black man, regardless of the fact that hmm. we do have more black people that have more money, but we still don't have majority NBA the NBA owners. There's one NFL, the same thing. But we have all these NFL players that have millions that have influence. Mm -hmm. But they still can't get that. So that means, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a cap. And that's what one of the things I took from the second place is just that inability, as well as just in everyday life, there's certain things that you know as a black man you can't say. And if you say it a certain way, it's going to be taken a certain way. Yeah. That, that feeling of, I, okay. I you know, I want to express myself just like every, that, just the freedom that white privilege affords you. Yeah. And, and the fact that it was, you know, induced by hypnosis, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's an indication that this is um, something that the, the majority culture inculcates in uh, in black folks. Right. To live, you know, to to set the threshold or the limit of what they can do by creating this feeling of helplessness, this feeling of of, of not being able to to achieve. Right. To going to that that place. Right. Because that's what the majority culture has been doing. Right. For, you know, for centuries, you know, trying to diminish, you know, the outlook for, you know, people of color. So that, yeah, that's a very good point to bring up. I would, and I would agree with what you're both saying. I, I mean, I hadn't given that that much thought about that other than the fact he was being put in this place, sort of a place of fear. He, you know, <clears throat> trying to get out, you can't get out and just being held down. So I hadn't taken it as far as the thought you had given it, but I, I do agree with what you're both saying about that that sunken place and 
that fear. I mean, and that, and just, that's why a lot of people were cheering when when uh, he broke that teacup mm. so, because that was the method that she was using to hypnotize. So uh, if you can break out of that cycle, then, you know, your bounds are limitless. But you have to realize that you are being hypnotized. That's yeah, the key. you got to realize mm-hmm. that you, you have been, you know, um, hypnotized. And so, yeah, to me, that that was, I think, that was the one of the pivotal scenes for me was mm-hmm. that second place because it just that feeling especially for me professionally i can i can relate to that feeling of being stifled mm-hmm. and it's it sucks yeah and mm-hmm. just just that feeling of hopelessness that he's in there and as as everything is back but you can see what's going on you can you're you're still part of the world but you're not in it you have no control yeah just... no control like and there's nothing there's literally nothing you can do about it no matter how much you scream no matter how much you fight you're still going to be in that same place. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people not outside of race, just when it comes to economic structure as well, that same feeling, like you can have the best idea in the world, but if you don't have the capital to fund it, mm-hmm. it doesn't go anywhere. Or just, you know, the, the confidence that it's a viable, that it's a possibility that mm-hmm. you can do it, right, that yeah. you can, that, it, that you can actually do those. Yeah. Things. That you can accomplish it. Yeah. So we'll leave it there. Get you out. Let you ponder that. <laughs> I want to say thank you to Baba Jesse and Uncle David. Uh, I think this was a, a very good conversation. I hope it uh, spurs other conversations amongst other people. Please leave us a comment, a like. Let us know what you think about it. Let us know what you think about Get Out. What you took the sunken place as. Uh, just how you felt about the movie. Uh, if you felt you would have liked it better if you watched it at home or if you liked it in theaters. I want to say thank you to Jordan Peele if you happen to listen to this. I yeah. think you did a great uh, a great movie. And Jordan, Jordan. I'm happy to hear that he has been uh, commissioned to do uh, five more series. Um, he says he has a mm. couple more, uh, I think five more actually movies that would play off uh, these social and racial, well, not racial, but social stereotypes in other areas. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm just going to just add mm-hmm. for Jordan. I hope I'm just glad you got your cat back. <laughs> <laughs> Keanu. <laughs> so again, thank you for listening to another stay woke podcast. Give us a like, give us a listen and you know, our motto live, listen to some great music. And for this podcast, I'll add, watch some great movies and above all, love more. We out. Peace. Peace.